Xavier, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. We're going to be in Psalms 46, and we're going to read the entirety of it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams made glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He brings, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all, there was a time when I was in high school over in Trustful, not too far away. And I had to do a presentation for my AP U.S. history class. Uh, anybody else take A-push in high school? Yep, you know the pain. And so we were going through, and I had to give a presentation in Miss Thomas's class. And no, that is not where we got our son's name. But it's one of the things that I had to do a presentation for Miss Thomas, and I was not at all prepared. Not at all. I was getting ready to royally flop. And so, I mean, I was feeling sick. I was feeling a little disoriented. And I just, I'm, I, I don't like to fail. I don't like to fail. But I was just otherwise preoccupied. I did not give the time, attention, or focus what was needed to be able to do this assignment well. And I was praying for God to get me out of it. And um, I got out of it. Uh, I just, not in a way that I would have liked, okay? So I start feeling unwell in the middle of the class. And I'm like, Miss Thomas, I need to go to the bathroom. And she's like, how convenient. It, you know, it just gave me one of those kind of knowing teacher looks. And I go down the hallway, except I'm not fibbing. Like, I am really feeling unwell. And my entire reality starts to distort. I, I start to feel like I'm in one of those Doctor Strange movies where all of the things are like Inception when the buildings are going up. Or like I got off of the Tilt-A-Whirl at the cheap county fair. And I'm going through, and I can't stay upright. I crash into the lockers. I'm doubled down over on the floor. I cannot stop the room, the hallway, from spinning. And so I'm, thankfully, somebody's walking by. and is like, oh, come here, poor soul. And we're going to take you over to the nurse's station. And I, they, put, they have to put me in a dark room, turn off out all the lights. And I'm over in the corner, and the fetal position, I call my mom. She comes and gets me, takes me to the hospital, and we have to wait over here at UAB, and then you throw up in the ER. That'll get you back faster. And so I go through, and, like, they have to bring me these bags and, like, air sickness bags on the airplanes, and, like, I'm going through. And I had never before had vertigo. But maybe anybody in here had vertigo before? You know exactly what I'm talking about? Oh, my goodness, like... It was something, just a small imbalance of fluid in your inner ear. And it makes your entire reality feel like it is in constant motion. And all I could do 
was stay in a dark room for multiple days praying to God that I could go to sleep to make the time pass faster. You see, that happened to me physiologically that day, but it happens to us as well, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, that we feel that I can't stand upright in the midst of the imbalance of everything else that is going on in my life. Well, I'm here to tell you that we're not left to figure out what we're to do in those situations or circumstances, but that God's word has a word to speak to us in the midst of those difficult, dark, and disorienting times. And for some of you, you're walking through it right now. Like, I just have to say that, and it immediately triggers the death, the divorce, the disintegration. Like, we we talk about not being able to stand upright in the loss, the loneliness, or the lack of explanation. It just comes immediately to the forefront of your mind. My hope and my prayer as I've been preparing for this is that tonight, as we open God's word together, that you would feel seen. And more than just seen, that you would be helped because God does not leave us alone in that state. So this is what Psalms 46, what God has to say to us. And you see, I don't do it every week, but I do it on some weeks. And you guys have a fill-in-the-blank outline tonight, okay? And so I, if you have your fill-in-the-blank outline, you can go ahead. And the first thing that this psalm says to us is that in times of natural crises, God's people can be confident in his powerful presence. That when there are natural disasters that go on, when there are things that seem to be outside of our control in the physical world, that God's people, that we can be confident, not in ourselves, not in our track record, not in our abilities, not in our gifts, not in anything else, but we can be confident in his powerful presence. We see this in verses one through three. Follow along. I have it right there for you on your listening outline, or you can see it on the screens. This Avery's already read it. God is our refuge and strength. Don't y'all love it when we sing the Bible? It's wonderful. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains, they be moved into the heart of the sea. And though its waters roar and foam and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You see, even though that there are times where it seems completely out of control, in the face of the elements around us, We can know this. Go ahead, write it in. We can know this. God is our refuge, strength, and very present help. You see, this is the foundational proposition for the rest of the psalm. The writer is putting it front and center. And you're going to see it come up over and over again as it's woven throughout. But more than just being the foundational proposition for this psalm, it is a promise from God to his people that you can claim even today. That God is a refuge. He is not a liar. And what was true then is true now. He's the yesterday, he's the the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with him, there is no variation or shadow due to change. That he is our refuge. He is our strength and a very 
present help. And a promise like this is so sweet. Because do you ever feel like you're exposed or vulnerable or prone to attack? Like I would venture to say that a lot of us here in this room probably have not endured some of the, the context that maybe this was for the people that it was written to. Like a lot of us, you know, probably grew up in homes where you have the handle lock and the deadbolt, right? And you have the security system, right? And, you know, these days, like the smart houses, all this other kind of stuff, the thermostats that go up and down automatically on a timer and everything. It knows when you're leaving. It knows what you like, this, that, or the other. That we have these homes, we have these safe havens, but it has not always been so for people. To be prone to attack, to be exposed, and to know, like, I'm having to negotiate in my mind, I can go to sleep right now, or I could be vulnerable to attack. And for God to speak a word to people in that state, that he is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That even though people feel helpless and capable, like they won't make it through. Did you see that God, he's not just a present help, but a very present help? I love that. I mean, in this verse, it is ground for the second and the third verses that follow it. Do you see that therefore? Like, here's the thing. You need to know this. Front and center, God is a refuge for his people. A safe place. A strong, sure, unmoving, not susceptible to attack. He is this for his people. Therefore, because of this, Go ahead and write it in. This section shows us, even amidst chaos and destruction, we should not fear. That for us, even amidst chaos and destruction, we should not fear. Because God is our refuge, strength, and very present help, we should not fear. And y'all, there are going to be things that come along in our lives that elicit fear. And the psalmist, he's not pulling any punches. He starts listing off all of the things, right? He, he uses the images of earthquakes and landslides and raging seas that the ground could be shaking beneath you, that the mountains that we can see, we look at as the immovable objects, firm fixtures in the landscape. If those things are being thrown into the heart of the sea, which for the Hebrew people would have been the symbol of chaos and destruction, and so on this day, when it looks like evil's winning out, when it looks like the chaos is winning, when it looks like disorder is running rampant, that even when all of this is going on, even though all of this may happen, we will still not fear, for there is someone who is closer to us than the things that could destroy us. You see, it was April 27th, 2011. And some of my Tuscaloosa folks in here are nodding their heads because they know what that day is. It, that, I was a student in Alabama at the time, and it was just a day like any other, April 27th. But over the course of the day, people said, be more weather aware, you know, make sure that you know something that's coming. And then the university cancels, then the progression into the sirens, and then to everybody hunkering down. And, you know, growing up in Alabama, tornadoes, I mean, yeah, people, like places get hit, that kind of stuff. But it's just kind of part and parcel of living here. It happens in certain areas, but you never think it's going to happen to you. But then that day, we start getting more and more serious. James Spann, the local weatherman that a lot of us love, like, you know, he takes off the jacket and rolls up the sleeves, and, you know, that's when things are getting real. 
But it was on that day that I was hunkered down in a half bathroom on the bottom floor of our apartment. And I had couch cushions and blankets and mattresses shoved in the hallway. And I was surrounded by dear brothers in Christ. And we had seen the clouds swirling in mile-wide fashion up above us. We had seen the sky start to change color. And then we were able to see a video image of the storm that was headed our way right before the power cut out. And we praise the Lord that it didn't come to where we were on the other side of the river. But like I remember in that day, I was with upperclassmen who were a part of my church and they were leading us in prayer for our safety, but also for the safety of those in our city. And I was grateful that in those moments and the, the marks that it left on me in a positive way are that like, I mean, I'm sending out text messages to Becca, who was my fiance at the time, like, hey, I'll try to get you as soon as I can. I don't know if this is going to go through because the cell towers are out. But trying to be able to say like, man, this, I was confronted with my mortality that day. And the things that would be so fear inducing in my life that if a storm were to be able to take all this away. But what the older guys were praying and what they were saying has stuck with me. That even if the worst should happen, God is still good. And. They were forecasting language that I would discover later through Presbyterian Pastor Tim Keller. And this is what he has to say. If God is with you, even the worst thing that happens to you, death, only makes you infinitely happier and greater. You are safe in God. And when these natural crises come, You, us, together, God's people can be confident in his powerful presence. But you see, natural crises, those aren't the only things that would seek to undo us. We see there's another movement that happens here in this psalm. And so go ahead and fill it in this next section. In times of political crises, God's people can be confident in his sovereign rule. Follow along with me as we look at Verses four through seven. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations, they rage and totter, kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, there's a contrast in these set of verses that we see the waters roaring, the waters churning, devouring mountains over here. And then it's like we get the downshift. We get the change of scene to where it's no longer chaotic and creation undoing waters, but now it is the calm lapping of the river of the city of God. And that as things slow down right here, we can see in this section, write it in, we can see that God is the righteous king of the immovable city. We move from the roaring and foaming waters of verse three to the still and the healing waters 
of verse four. In this place, instead of laying waste to whatever's in its path, this river makes the city glad. And this is where the Lord lives, where the most high reigns. And I love that title for God. The most high, that there is none above him, none higher, none greater. And because he's the greatest, because he's present, the city, it will not be moved. That even, the mount, even though mountains and land and sea are prone to be moving, this city will not be moved. God will help her each and every day. He will not abandon his city or his people. And we get a glimpse of this guy. When we get a glimpse of this guy, it makes the smaller problems of the world pale in comparison. That when we get this heavenly perspective, that we can't go ahead and write it in, that even in the midst of wicked nations and rulers, we should not fear. Because there will be nations that rage and there will be kings that will seek to bring destruction. And y'all, you don't have to look very far today. You can just turn on the news. You can start scrolling through social media. You just start trying to see and keep up with the things that are happening on an international scale. I mean, do you ever feel dismayed at the things that you're seeing? That you're crumbling beneath the weight over what you're seeing here at home and abroad? You see, now, I mean, a lot of this could be chalked up to the news networks knowing that fear sells and putting a lot of these things up front and center all the time. But there is so much in this world that we know that this verse rings true, that there are nations that rage, that there are kings that totter. And these nations and these kingdoms, they think that they're in control, that they're making a difference, that they're all powerful, but they will not last and their efforts will ultimately fail. Because even though they rage, God simply utters his voice and the earth melts. That this is the God that we serve because how did he create? By speaking, let there be. And how is he in these verses, what is he able to do? To decreate. And how does he do it? With the breath of his mouth that where all the time people are trying to flex and trying to show their power and their might and all of the things that they are able to do through their weapons, through their show of force, through their clout, through their weight that they can swing around. That we see sometimes that the world would sell us a bill of goods that like that there's this equal, there's this duality between good and evil, between light and dark, and that we are kind of clamoring to be able to see which way is going to end, like who's going to come out on top. There is no duality with this. That the difference is the Lord. That they are not evenly matched. They are outmatched on every single level that he is the Lord of all creation. And that this is the God who says that he will be a refuge for us. And one day, everything is going to be set right. That even though right now, when the problems seem this close and when we can't get beyond them, we can look ahead and we can see, go ahead, write it in. In the end times of this world, God's people will see the end of wars and the reign of the kingdom of God. 
Go ahead, follow along in verses 8 and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably know that there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of speculation about the end times, right? You know, there was a, a time in my life where I became obsessed as a little church kid reading the left behind books and all that kind of stuff, right? You people, you know, you see it at yard sales. People can't give them away now, right? You know, it's one of those things that I was just trying to figure out any and every way, became so captivated with trying to figure out what was all of this going to look like? And there's so much of this that we're not gonna be able to know. And there's a lot of times that people speak beyond where the Bible speaks and that's where we can get into trouble. But what we can know from God's word, what we can know from Psalm 46, what we can know from these verses right here is write it in, that God will utterly destroy evil. And if you have ever endured any evil, if you've ever experienced any injustice, then that is a comfort to you. That God will deal with the evil here in this world. Now, for those who are outside of Christ, I mean, it's a strong warning that God will deal with the evil here in this world and he will deal with the evil in each and every human heart. But this is part of what makes the gospel message such good news is that he has come and he has made a way of escape. And that through his son Jesus, that he has actually already dealt with evil. And he took the sin in our place. We see it in 2 Corinthians. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God will visit sin with judgment. And he's already taken it in himself on the cross. And so all who turn from their sin and trust in Christ and his work on the cross, that we are now safe, that we have the refuge of Christ. But those of us who have not, that we are still outside, we are exposed, we are vulnerable, and God will, at the end of all days, deal with sin finally in judgment. But it does not have to be that way for you. That some would be like, oh, that's old school. That's fire and brimstone preaching. And yeah, my sand mountain might be showing just a little bit. But y'all, sin is a reality. And God's judgment of evil, if I were to come up here and try to say anything different to you, it would be like a doctor having malpractice. Saying that you have a condition, but everything is fine. Just keep going about living your life the way that you want to. But this is the serious state of affairs that we find ourselves in. But there is a way out. That God, he will utterly destroy evil and he will act because he is our conquering king. You write it in. He will act because God is the conquering king. 
You see, each of those weapons of war, they are going to be reduced to nothingness. He will destroy that which destroys. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson, when he paraphrased the message, you're going to hear me as we're going through this psalm series talking about that a lot. That's where he started going through with the psalms. And he says right here that he breaks the weapons across his knee. Just the image of God. (laughs) In one fell swoop, the weapons of war being reduced to nothing. What a beautiful picture. That the instruments of death will be reduced to rubble and true peace will be here on earth. And this is what is coming for all those who believe in him. It's like in that um, literary classic, the Lord of the Rings, right? Um, it's been a few messages, y'all, since I re- referenced the Lord of the Rings. So you can give me this, all right? Uh, spoiler alert, it's been out for decades. So anyways, if you don't already know, just sorry. But it's like at the end of that incredible trilogy in The Return of the King, Samwise Gamgee, who's one of my favorite characters, that evil has just been defeated that the ring has been destroyed and he's reunited with his elderly wizard friend Gandalf, who he thought was long dead. He hadn't seen him since the first book or for others from the first movie, right? And Sam, he's talking with Gandalf and they're catching up and they're trying to figure out, well, how do we move forward? And I love this dialogue that happens between Sam and between Gandalf. And this is what Sam says. Is everything sad going to come untrue? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. You see, the nations, they rage and totter, but one day God will set everything right and all that is sad will become untrue. I love that childlike phrasing because the only way that these former days will pass away is because of his infinite power. He is the only one who is able to make all of the sad things come untrue. That he is the conquering king. And that he will destroy that which destroys. But you see, these promises, they're not just for the future. They're for today as well. Go ahead, write it in. In the everyday times of life, God's people can know that he is near. In the everyday times of life, you can know that he is near. We see it in verses 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In response to all of this, in his powerful presence, his sovereign rule, we are to be still and to know that he is God. Write it in, that we are to be still and to know 
that he is God. Because y'all, there is so much movement in this psalm. There is so many things that are happening and pace changing, going up and ramping down. But here, we are to be still and to know that he is God. Well, what does it mean to be still, Blake? Well, in this day and age, it is a very difficult thing for us to do. And it it might be easier for some of y'all than it is for me. But to be able to simply be still in the midst of a world of constant stimulation and active engagement and where your attention is a commodity that is monetized, for us to be still. It is possible for us to lose this art of being still before the Lord. Because even sometimes we might feel like we have to be doing things for the Lord in light of everything that's going on, but that's not what this verse is calling us to. This verse is calling us to being still. How do I do that? How do I be still? Well, this being still isn't just not moving physically, though that is a part of it. Because some of you know very well that it is possible to be still physically and for your mind to be going a million miles an hour, right? For us to be still isn't to just empty ourselves and try to get to a state of neutrality or nothingness. That is pagan meditation, where we're trying to empty ourselves, but rather being still before the Lord is to fill ourselves up with him. It is to dwell on in our minds and in our hearts with our intellect and with our affections, to chew on, to enjoy, to delight in God. And to seek to fill ourselves up full with who he is and what he has done and what he has revealed to us. And to be still and to know that he is God is to cease striving. To stop trying to spiritually sweat in his presence. And for you to realize what has already been accomplished on your behalf and what has now been given to you. For you to remember, why? To be still and know that I am God and for you to remember that you are not. That we are to be still and to reflect on him, to find our souls happy in him. And y'all, this is something that we must do daily. That we need this stillness of soul before the Lord. Why? Because we live in a very frantic and frenetic world. And we have to be recalibrated all the time. And it's not just something that I've experienced, though I have, but it is something that other Christians through the centuries have been able to experience. George Mueller and William Carey are two British Baptist men of God from centuries past. And they had this to say, and it really kind of embodying this stillness of soul. George Mueller, the first, he wrote this, the first great and primary business 
to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. That this is of prime importance. That it is possible for me to go through and to do everything else about my day and to be completely occupied and outward focused and hardworking. But I must have my soul happy in God. And then William Carey, the Baptist missionary and the father of the modern missionary movement, he wrote this. I feel that it is good to commit my soul, my body, and my all into the hands of God. And then the world appears little, and the promise is great, and God an all-sufficient portion. That when we return again to God in stillness of soul, not trying to do a bunch for him or to try to show him all that we've done for him, but we, we like Mary at the feet of Jesus, have chosen the good portion to not be so busy in doing all of these other things in the house, but we have chosen to sit at his feet and to be with him. That when we have this stillness of soul, when we're still before the Lord, he is who we are in him, and we see the world around us, that we have an accurate perspective of reality, that our problems are not so large and our God is not so small and we are not so prominent, but that we are able to see God for who he is. We're able to see our problems sized up next to him. And we're able to see the worth and the value and the dignity that he has conferred upon us. That when we return to this day in, day out, we can have this, and it's the last thing on your outline. If you're one of those people that's like, I gotta get all the blanks. Here's the last one. That we can know that he is present and we can know that he is our help. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob, he is our fortress. And right here, we're able to see that he was there with the psalmist as he penned these words. But he is here with us now in an even deeper way. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us his presence with his people, that he's the one who beckons us to come and to sit at his feet and to choose the good portion, being still before him. He is the one who said that we could make mountains move, not out of fear, but in faith. He's the one who spoke and melted the raging storm into a sea of glass by speaking the words, peace, be still. That Jesus is the one who could have called on legions of angels as the Lord of hosts, but who didn't and who stayed on the cross. He was the one who was highly exalted on the throne of the cross. The sacrifice for sin and for sinners. And who was laid low in a tomb and who is raised again, triumphing over death and holding the keys. That Jesus 
given the name that is above every other name, that he is the most high God. And he ascended on high, sits at the right hand of the Father, and sent his spirit that now indwells the hearts of those who follow him, that God is with us. And that he is a very present help for us in times of trouble. And we see a day coming. We see it in Revelation chapter 22, where there is a river flowing in the city of God. And there the tree of life, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. It'll never be war-torn anymore. There will be no more threat, no more destruction, no more chaos. No more people dying for seemingly haphazard and menial things. But there will be life and light and love and wholeness. And God's word says there, wars will cease to be. His kingdom will reign unopposed and will be unshaken and he will wipe away every tear. The sad things will come untrue. And we can rest in this. We can rest in him. We have but to be still and to know that he is God and that we are not. But the Lord of hosts, he's with us. And the God of Jacob, he's a mighty fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I humbly ask that for those here tonight who, who need a safe place for their souls, God, that they would find it in you. God, that they would know that you are strong and that you are sure and that you are kind. And God, would your kindness lead them to repentance, to turn from sin and dead-end ways of living and to find the life and the hope and the peace there in Christ. And Father, for those of us who are going around and we are just working at a frenzied pace and we are constantly engaged and stimulated and doing and doing and doing. I pray, God, that you would jolt us out of that cycle and that you would draw us to be still. To be still and to know that you are God and that we are not. We need your help, Lord. Please give it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.